Good morning, all seasons. It's so good to see you in the house of the Lord. Wow, what a great start to the day. Looking forward to all that God is going to pour out on us over these next several weeks. And I say that because we have walked through this journey of wanting to be a part of a move of God. And one of the things I've, I've been blessed to be able to do through many years is to be parts of moves of God, things God is doing, uh, movements of growth, movements of, uh, of construction, movements of just God saying, here's what I see, will you run with me? Will you go with me? Will you? And so this is part of our journey, whether it's your family, God shows you, here's where I want your family going, here's where I want you to go with your work life, here's where I want you to go. Everything is always about a move of God. God is not setting still. That is, that is just not his demeanor. That's not his DNA. He is a moving God. He is always, look at the person beside you and say, he's already in your tomorrow. That's where he lives. He lives in your tomorrow. And from your tomorrow, he reaches back and tries to train you to be ready for that moment. That's, that's what he does. He's always looking into your tomorrow and he's saying, look, you're fixing to be here and I've got to get you ready for here didn't matter if it's his disciples he's working with or whoever. It is always him training and pushing and moving you to be able to do and be what he needs you to be. Okay, so understanding that is, is important because more than anything else, what has to become a, a settled thing in your heart and what has to become just, just concrete is the fact that you have within your mind, I will not miss the move of God. It has to become just the normal way you think. It, 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 it overrides family, it overrides people, it overrides comfort, it overrides everything else in your life. That's what gets me into all the trouble I get into. If I would just be comfortable and be happy where everything is and not mess with anything, man, wouldn't life be so good for me? Life would be wonderful for me. The problem is, is that God's challenging all the time, Tim, do you want to move forward? Do, do you want to see what's in your tomorrow? Do you want to see the possibility? Do you want to see where you can be? And I keep saying this crazy thing. Yes, Lord, send me. Yes, Lord, send me. Yeah, send me. And, it, and, and, and I get myself into all these things through the years. Now, others will look at it from the outside and say, wow, that is so awesome. The stuff God has done and, and God's allowed you to be a part of and God. And I'm like, yeah. Because it is all of that. But if you were to ask Daniel when he's going through his life, boy, Daniel, you've got the coolest life. He would just say, calm down. It's just a life. If you were to ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you were to ask people, boy, you are living this. Look, I love how all of a sudden Jacob or Israel is brought to Pharaoh. It's one of my favorite lines. And Pharaoh kind of like is meeting the father of Joseph. I mean, Joseph's the second most mightiest person in the world. He's raised this kid and he has his other sons and he's got this caravan of family. And Pharaoh says, tell me about your life. He said, it's been long and full of misery. And I'm thinking, man, you had a chance to say something awesome. But he's being right. It's been long and it's been full of misery. Yes, all the stuff that God has done, but it has been a journey. 
And so you have to be concrete in your mindset that I do not want to miss the next move of God. Because the next move of God takes me from this comfortable, I'm not happy, I'm not satisfied, to a place where, wow, everything's fresh again. And it may look difficult, and it may look, di- but it, it's fresh again. I'm, I'm, let me see if I can show it to you a little bit. We talked about how this process has to work. Now, now bear with me, because probably this is going to take me three weeks, two to three weeks. I may can do it in two, but it, two to three weeks to wrap up this last point. Is that okay? This one is the one that ties it all together. So we began talking about where we're seated. The first step in being part of a move of God, as we dealt with three or four weeks ago, was where am I seated? So we talked about some are seated at Mount Sinai. Some are standing on the outside of the mountain, looking up and the mountain shaking, and there's thunders coming off, there's smoke coming off the mountain, and we see this awesome and big God, and God is this incredible God, and, 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 and we know that we need to do right, because you don't want to make that God mad, and you don't want to go to hell, and you don't want to... So, so you live at Mount Sinai trying to do right. If you meet most people, they're going to look at you and say, man, I'm trying to live right, Brother Lot. I'm trying to do right. I'm, I'm trying to... In fact, I got, I got a text from someone this week just about the Holy Spirit, and, and they're walking with the Holy Spirit, and, 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 and their whole mindset is still wrapped up in, well, you know, he, he's convicting me. He, he's, he, the Holy Spirit's always convicting me of sin and convicting me of, and, and I text back and I said, that's part of it, but that's not his role. His role is to be your best friend. His role is to be your guide. His, his role is to be there to be your comforter, not your, your judge, your comforter. But it's amazing how when we think of the Holy Spirit, boy, the Lord just been wearing me out with this. Lord, God has been reminding me. God really convicted me of this. God, we live at Mount Sinai if we're not careful. We live at a place where we're trying to live up to some expectation so God will like us. If that one doesn't settle in us, we move to the next mountain or the next seated place, which is where we seat ourselves at Christ. We seat ourselves at the cross. We seat ourselves there under the cross and we know that by his work and by his death and by his resurrection, we have forgiveness of sin. And so we just hang on to grace and mercy. We hang on, as the song said, mercy said no. We we love that feeling, boy, of mercy said no. I know I was messed up, but mercy said no. And and I accept the fact that Jesus has died for me and he rose from the dead. I'm I'm happy that I'm, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven, that my sins are forgiven and separated as far as the east is from the west. I'm thankful for all of that. And you know what? I'm just gonna stay right here and I'm just gonna just bask in the fact of what Jesus did and I'm just gonna soak it up. And we have churches that go every Sunday to remind themselves that Jesus died for them. And we go every Sunday to remind ourselves that Jesus rose from the dead and he's coming again. We we remind ourselves that we're just uh, hanging on and just waiting for the rapture and waiting for the moment. And we get rested at the wrong mountain. We end up at the cross, even though our lives are messed up, we just say, well, but Jesus understands. But God loves me. And we excuse our whole life, and we excuse our not moving forward. There's one other place we are called to be seated, which is the official place of being seated, which is seated with Him in Zion. The Bible says we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're seated with Him in heavenly places. 
that whatever's under his feet is under our feet. Whatever he has overcome, I'm overcoming. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens me. Now, this is important, and you need to grasp these two, and you've got to have these two, because what we've learned is simply this, is that we're seated with Christ. The second thing we learned was that relationship and who I am is more important than what I do. Now, that sounds contrary because I've just been telling you we need to get past, we need to get to Zion, we need to get... But listen to me, everything that I'm fixing to teach you hinges on these first two. Am I seated with Christ and am I intimate with Him on a daily basis? Look at the person beside you and ask them, are you seated with Christ? And are you intimate with Him every day? Is He the most intimate relationship that you have? More than any other relationship, is He the most intimate relationship that you have? Because listen to me, here's where we get stuck. We think about what we need to change. We think about what things need to change. We think about what circumstances need to change. Listen to me, you can write this down because this is going to save you a lot of pain. Change comes equal to the closeness you are to God. Change does not come being separate from God and then saying, I'm just going to change and impress you. Change comes from my closeness, my intimacy with God, and it changes me from the inside out. So when people say, Pastor, how do you do what you do? I don't. That's the key. I don't. How did you become who you are? I didn't. You have to understand, it's not what I do that makes me who I am. It's what I am that makes me what I am. It's my intimacy with God every single day that creates within me the person that He wants me to be. So that when I leave his presence, when I leave his main presence and have to walk through this world, I already enter it knowing who I am. Number three, third part is what we'll begin today. And it's simply this. The final piece is faith and obedience. The final piece of the puzzle of a move of God is being able to move in faith and obedience with Him. But here's the problem. Your faith and obedience will not withstand lack of intimacy. And it will not withstand lack of where you're seated. If you see yourself as, well, I'm not sure I can do this, you won't make it. Well, I don't, you won't make it. Let me just go ahead and tell you, you won't make it. You may make it five years. You may make it ten years but you won't make it because you can't withstand in your flesh. If that's the case, Jesus would never had to have come and given us what he gave us because that is how we overcome. Even our faith, this is what overcomes the world. So let me see if I can say it this way. Go with me to Isaiah 6. Let me see if I can explain it and just put it in together. A real familiar part of the Bible. 
Isaiah 6, this is where Isaiah gets this vision of God. He gets this vision of, and, and we've wrote all kind of songs about it. Holy, holy, holy. And, and we've written all this and talked about how the, everything, the walls shake when the cherubims and cherubims and all this go crazy in the, in the presence of God. And we get stuck in the wrong place. We get stuck in intimacy. We get stuck in the intimacy because that's what we think is the end of the road. Okay, I'm seated with Christ and I'm intimate with Christ. Oh, we are a generation of praise and worship that does nothing. That's what we are. We're a generation of praise and worship but won't walk across the street to feed somebody. We, we want to sing on a praise team but don't want to go on a mission trip. Let me explain the problem. We are a people that love intimacy, but we hate the next step. We love coming to church, sitting in our pews and enjoying and, and relaxing and opening our Bibles and going through and hearing Pastor Lot, but then have to do as little as possible when we leave the building. And we wonder why we struggle. Because listen to me, we built everything around ending at intimacy. We just want to draw close to God. We just want to be close to God. We just want to be near Him. Well, let me explain something to you. That's not what God wants. And I'll use a passage, one we make songs about and one we talk about all the time to help your learning. Is that okay? Look at the person beside you and say, Pastor's fixing to teach you something. Go to Isaiah 6 and let's just begin at verse 1. And I'm going to read through it, and we're just going to walk through it, and I'm going to show it to you. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, even each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his. Notice what they say now. Holy, holy, holy. And that's where we end it, right? Isn't that where the song ends? But there's another part to that that says, The whole earth is full of his. We say, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty. That's not what the seraphim said. He said, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of your glory. Well, why would he say that? Why, why is that? So? If intimacy is the end, he says, listen to me. And the posts of the door were shaken, Isaiah 4. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for that my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Okay, so what mountain is he at? He's at Sinai. He said, I saw the Lord and you know what? It scared me to death. I saw the Lord and you know what? Oh Lord. I don't need to be here. I'm unclean. I'm unholy. Oh, I'm, I need to do better. I need to try harder. I need to be a better person. Oh, God, we're just a messed up group of people in front of a holy God. Guess where you're at? You're at Mount Sinai. But what does God do? Next verse. Let me just help you. Then one of the seraphims flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the, for the tongs from the altar. And he touched 
My what? My mouth with it. We are saved by how? By the confession of our... Isn't that what the Bible says? We believe with our heart, but we confess unto salvation. He took it, touched his tongue. This is what happens. And said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken and your sin is... What, what mountain are we on? Calvary. Through Jesus, He purged us of our sins. Through Calvary, He saved us from our... He took away our guilt. He took away our iniquity. He took it all away. Now, I know y'all done heard Isaiah 6 preached this way all the time, but I'm just going to help you out a little bit. Most of y'all are like, I didn't even know this was in Isaiah 6. Because you never got past. Holy, holy, holy. And the mountain was shaking. That's Sinai. I don't know to scare you to death. And then the seraphim comes and touches you, and all of a sudden I'm saved, and I feel at home, and now I'm comfortable, and everything is good. So now, guess what? Now that I'm in this position, now I'm, 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 at home. I'm not scared anymore. I, I believe I'm sitting in Zion. I am in Zion with Christ. Man, everything is good. So you know what I can do? Good. So I can hang out here? Yes. I'm good. You're good. I think I'll just stay here. I think I'll just play some Caleb and just hang out here. <laughs> Y'all don't get mad when I'm helping you. Just gonna ride around, play Caleb, and tell God how much I love him. I love you. Love you too. I'm glad I get to hang out in Zion. I am too. But that's not the end of Isaiah 6. It's not your church life that matters. It's not your praise life that matters. It's your faith life that matters. Also, I heard a voice of the Lord. All of a sudden now I'm listening to the Lord. Because now I'm, I'm sitting in a place where I hear the conversations that go on in heaven. I hear the conversations in heaven all the time. The hardest thing to explain to somebody is, Pastor Light, tell me what you, how you get this stuff. I hear the conversations in heaven all the time. When I turn on the news, I hear the conversations in heaven about it. When, I, when I'm sitting reading a paper, I hear the conversation. When I hear someone come up with something dumb or some theological, I hear the conversations in heaven. Tim, did you hear that, John? I did. I did. You know how ridiculous that is? Yes, sir. I know how ridiculous that is. And I'm just sitting here, seated with him, listening to the craziness, listening to the good. Sometimes I hear good. It's like, God's like, Tim, do you get that? That's good stuff. Yes, sir. I get that. That is good stuff. It's not all bad. It's not all good. I'm just seated and I'm just relaxing and I'm hanging out in heavenly places. I'm seated with Christ. My, my, my life is secure. I've been purged from all my sin. I'm living for the Lord. I, I've got it. Also, I heard a voice from heaven saying, 
Whom shall I send? Oh. That's the conversation you don't want to hear in it. That's the one when you come to Pastor Lot and you say, Pastor Lot, you know, I just feel like we need to start something. You know what? I wasn't in that conversation. What did God tell you? Well, I just saw this need and everything. Good, you need to get after it. Because if you're going to sit with Christ, and you're going to sit with God, and you're going to be in that place, let me tell you what will happen if you keep hanging out there. You're going to hear a conversation that's going to make you have to operate in faith and obedience. I also heard a voice say, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here I am. Send me. Remember I told you when I started this, I said, I keep saying the dumb thing. I'll do it. Hey, I'll do it. What do you need me to do? I'll do it. And he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? Oh, I love that. Because that's the next question that's going to come out of your mind. How long I got to do it? How long I got to live this? How long I got to be Pastor Lot? How long I got to be this person? How long do I have to stand like this? How long do I have to keep moving like this? How long do I have to... And, and I love how God says it. He doesn't give you a timeline. He gives you a destination time. Every time God's ever spoke to me, it's not a timeline. It's a destination. When you get through with this, we will talk some more. But don't come back to me until you have finished doing what I've asked you to do. Let's just stick with Isaiah and I'll help you out. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste without an inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away. The forsaken places are, are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tent will be in it and will return to be uh, for consuming. As the tabernacle tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down, so the holy seed shall be its stump. Now here's the message. He has to go and tell the people. He said, listen, God has told me to tell you something. What's he told you to tell us? Is that every one of you going to be removed from this land? That it's just going to be about a tenth of you scattered around, just a stump left. There's not going to be anything left, Harley. And, and, and this is the way it's going to be. When's this going to happen? I don't know. But I'll tell you this much. I'm going to be preaching it until it does happen. I'm going to be telling you this until it, because he gave me an assignment. And the assignment was, don't quit preaching this until you see it happen. Until you see it take place. Do you know what? Isaiah got killed. Isaiah was, was, was martyred 
for his testimony. Isaiah was killed for what he said. Isaiah was, was murdered for what he said. Did it happen the way he said it? Yeah. That's why the same people that murdered him one day took his book and put it in the Bible and said, you know what? That guy wasn't as crazy as he looked like. In fact, everything he said happened just like he said it would happen. He was a man of God and he finished the work that he was called to do. Don't get excited. Jesus said, I was sent to do a work and you know what? They're going to kill me. They're going to do this. And you know what he told his disciples? He said, I'm going to give you a word. And you know what? If they didn't like my word, they won't like your word. And they're going to kill you just like they killed me. Can I tell you something is sitting here all comfortable in this air conditioning? One of these days when you get past yourself and you decide to walk with God, it's going to kill you too. It's going to take everything you've got. You can't just live your old easy life, your comfortable life, your want to I do what I want to do life. It's going to cause you to have to say, I've been in the presence of God. He is my all in all. I am intimate with Him. And where He tells me to go, I must go. Oh. Y'all think it's just an accident people end up where they end up. I can carry you to any successful godly person. And they'll show you this path I just showed you. They'll show Now you can read their books. You can hear their podcasts. But if you want to be like them, you're going to have to do just what I just said. You're going to have to do. You cannot work your way, manipulate your way, strategize your way. There is only one way to get there. There has to be seated. There has to be relationship. There has to be faith and obedience. The problem is there's three realms of Christianity that we live in. Three realms of Christianity in this room today. There is number one, there is the natural realm. There are some of you in this room today that you live a natural realm of Christianity. That's how you live. Now let me explain it. It's not saying you're not a Christian. But you cannot go and do because you are stuck in a natural realm. And here's the natural realm. They believe in the ethical principles that everything of, of the Bible. If you were to ask them about the Bible, they would say, I believe the Bible as far as its ethical principle. I believe that Jesus was a good man. Even Bill Clinton, years ago, all his messed up self, even said, if everybody lived by the Bible, it would be a better world. If you were to ask Bill Clinton, did he know the Lord? He would say, sure. I got Christmas trees. I go to church on Easter. What are you saying, Pat? He is by nature a natural. It's not going to change anything about his life. There's no power to change. It's the ethical principles. Now, they don't believe in the literal Bible. In other words, if you were to ask them, do you believe Moses crossed the Red Sea? They would say, well, I'm not sure it happened just the way it happened. I believe probably what happened was there was some drought that took place and, and there's a shell that they were able to walk. I don't believe they walked across on just dry land, but I believe it was, it was a shell that they were able to get across. And, and then when they got across, the rain came back. And when the rain came back, it flooded it again. And Pharaoh's armies, their, their chariots, because of the wheels and the horses' hooves, they couldn't stand on that shell the same way. And they slid off and they drowned and they died. And, and, and I believe it could happen, but it didn't happen the way the Bible 
Bible says. I, I don't believe Jesus fed 5,000 with, with fish and bread. What I believe was is that, is that somebody, everybody showed up and, and, and when they all showed up with their meals, because this boy couldn't have been the only person that, that had a meal. It couldn't have been the only person. Everybody had dinner. I mean, they weren't so dumb they didn't show up with dinner. So they all had dinner. But what happened was is that it was a beautiful moment of sharing where people began to share their meal with someone else's family and someone began to share and then all of a sudden by the end of it everybody ate all 5,000 ate and it was a beautiful moment of if we just love each other and take care of each other everybody will be happy they believe in all the ethical but not the literal there's some of you in this room if I were to ask you do you believe Jonah got swallowed by a fish and stayed in his belly for three days on the bottom of the ocean. And then God finally woke Jonah up and said, Jonah, you ready to do what I want you to do? Yeah. And that fish swam back up to the top. God made the fish sick and he spit Jonah out. Three days dead. Up on the bank, Jonah came back to life. And Jonah went and preached in Nineveh. And a whole city got turned to God. You believe that literally? See, if you tell some liberal, you got to go into your workplace tomorrow and say, this is what I believe. You a fruitcake. I mean, that's the last thing you want. You, you want to be able to naturally fit in. See, they only can believe that which can be proved. Anything that leaves the unproven. Anything that leaves the unrealistic. The, un, the, the thing that leaves unnatural. That's not natural. That's symbolic. It has to fit a scientific criteria. If I was to tell you God made the earth in six days, because He said He made it in six days, because He can just look over and say, trees, please, and He doesn't have to deal with 150 billion years of evolution. He can just say, let it be the way I want it to be right now. And every atom and every molecule and everything has to come to be exactly what He wants it to be. See, a natural person, you're like, oh, brother, I don't know if I can believe all that. I understand. I didn't say you don't believe in Jesus. I just said your, your Christianity is built from a natural mindset. There are people in this room that they can naturally believe in Christ. That's why you're here today. I believe in Jesus. I believe He died for me. I believe that. I, I believe. I don't understand it. But what I don't understand, I just don't talk about. If it doesn't fit my social norms, you get more of your understanding of Jesus from the History Channel. Then you do your own Bible. Because the Bible's too weird. This Bible's just way too weird. I mean, it's too much crazy stuff. Jesus laying hands on leprosy and, and, and Jesus doing crazy stuff, raising dead people and doing. I mean, you can't do that. The second group that's in this room are not just naturalists, but they are people that we call rational people. Some of you in this room are rational. Rational people. Believe the whole Bible. They, they believe the Bible. They believe it. They believe that Jesus died on the cross. They believe that He rose from the dead. They believe that He raised Lazarus from the dead. They believe in the Red Sea. They believe in Daniel and the lion's den. They believe in Jonah and the whale. They believe in all of those different things. They have an understanding that I believe everything that's in this Bible. But the problem is, they have real doubts about miracles taking place in our modern world. 
Where they struggle is, is that, okay, let's be rational. God, God has already given us everything, so if we die of cancer or we die of this, that's okay because we're saved and that's the real miracle. The only miracle that they can believe in truly anymore is your salvation. And they will point that out. You'll meet people like this all the time. Well, the greatest miracle that ever took place is my salvation. No, you don't even understand what a miracle is. That's not a miracle. That's called a purchase. It wasn't a miracle that Jesus saved you. How did Jesus save you? He had to do what? Die. That's called a purchase. If I walk up to Walmart and, and I, I put some tater chips up there, and the lady looks at me and says, that'll be $3.57. I hand her a $5 bill. She puts my tater chips in a bag, gives me some change, and I walk away and say, that's a miracle that I got to walk out of Walmart with some tater chips. No, you purchased them. You were bought with a price. That's what the Bible says. You are not your own. You were already pre-bought. All you did was come to the realization that you're not your own, that you got bought. That's called a purchase. But a miracle, that's something that has to happen beyond the natural, beyond the rational. Something that steps into a whole different realm. And this group has no problem in believing in the Bible. They believe all of it. They, they believe all, man, they, they will teach the Sunday school classes. They will do, they'll do everything. They have, but they have real doubts that if they laid hands on somebody right now, that that cancer would fall off. We better call Pastor Lot. I have real doubts that if I walk into that hospital room right now and I pray, something's going to happen. It's got to happen. They struggle holding on to the world that might see them as weird. Because I'm going to tell you something. This next step is weird. It's a whole lot better to be rational. Well, let's just hold hands. And let's just pray. You ever see them do that in the Bible? I never saw one time where they said, let's just all circle around old grandma and hold hands. No, what I saw was somebody with faith walk up and lay hand on Grandma. Grandma, time to get up now. But see, you can't do that if you're irrational. If you're rational, we need to stay. We need to stay. Look now, we got to we got to be able to fit in. We don't want people to think we're weird. We don't want people to think we're crazy. One of the few times I ever got a chance to first do that, it was here and, and it, here. I've done it. A bunch of times other places, but the first time was a long time ago when we had a guy that had a child who was bipolar. And he said, would you come and pray for my kid? I said, sure. And God checked me. Here again, I'm seated in heavenly places. So I'm sitting up here, and when he says, will you come and pray for him? And I'm thinking, yeah. And God said, whoa, whoa, hot dog. <laughs> okay. He said, Give him some books on healing. Tell him you'll come to his house in two weeks. He don't believe in healing? He don't understand healing. His understanding is, and your understanding is different. Give him the books. So I gave him a few books that, on healing, different people on healing. And I said, I'm going to come back and I'm going to pray in two weeks. Well, when the, after the first week, 
He done called his pastor, his Sunday school teacher, and everybody else, and they, and they were like, hey, we're going to be there. We want to see this. I'm like, knock yourselves out. We got there. Everybody wanted to do their prayer time. I'm like, all right. So we're all standing there. Lord, touch this little boy. Touch him. I'm like, okay. This is cool. I've been doing this for two weeks. I don't know why we're doing it now. This is what I did before I got here. Not when I get here. I'm through with this part. I'm way past this part. We prayed, we prayed. And one of them said, now, now Pastor Lot has a special gift. Like, I got no special gift. I looked at that boy and I said, son, I said, I'm fixing to lay my hands on you. And I said, when I lay my hands on you, you're going to see fire. Because God said you would see fire. And I said, whatever has been bothering you will not bother you anymore. I laid my hands on him. Walked out of the room. His mom and dad asked him later, said, what did you feel? He said, he said, my whole body got hot. And he said, he was right. I saw fire. That kid never had another episode. It had nothing to do with me. Understand this. I'm seated. God says, I got to have somebody that will go. Well, we're going to be praying for you at the church. No, I don't need you praying for me at the church. I need somebody that's got enough that can find where my house is, can walk into my house, and can lay hands on me, and can change the situation, that can talk to Junior, that can work through. The, the church is dying, folks, because we are seated with Christ while the world goes to pot. I'm tired of hearing about what you're seated in. I'm tired of hearing about what you got. I'm tired of hearing about your blessings. I'm tired of hearing. What I want to hear is what can you do? This third one. It has to be, for the rational, it has to be an intellectual faith. It, 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 it can't. It can't break intellectual thought. How, how did that happen? How do you just walk in and do that? Because the third realm that we're called to, the place that you're called to be, is a place of mystery. Look at the person beside you and say, you're called to live in mystery. Let me explain to you this mystery people. They're not intellectual as far as the world calls intellectual. Now let me say this before I begin. I'm not telling you that we're supposed to be dumb and uneducated and all of this. I study as much as anybody. I, I, I pour over scriptures as much as anybody. I, I do all the things that I'm supposed to do. But listen to me. There is never a moment in my mind while I'm studying, while I'm doing anything, that I think for a second that I'm going to come up with something in that office that's going to transform a life. It might have a part in speaking into a life. It might have a part in just putting a seed in a life, but the only change that will happen is when the mystery breaks in and the mystery starts to override the intellectual and the natural and the rational and it transforms a life from the inside out and the world is amazed by it. 
See, we missed that. How do you think churches, this church that got started some 50-something years ago, how do you think it got started? I'll tell you how it got started. It got started because somebody came and did a tent revival in Forest, Mississippi many, 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 many years ago. And somebody was led by God. I need to go to Forest, Mississippi. What's in Forest? I don't know, but I need to hold a revival right there. And I need to do that. Well, well if you got it figured out, I don't have anything figured out. How are you going to pay for it? I don't know. I just know i got to go. And I know i got to have a revival there. I've got to preach there. There's something there that's supposed to happen. And they came and they preached and they believed. And by faith, they said something's going to happen. And a small little church came together. A man by the name of Charles, Brother Walker, started to pastor there for 30. They had the church in the house. They, played, they screwed down theater chairs in the living room. And that was the church. Oh, you, you look at now and you think, oh, that's... But listen to me. They, they did, went from that to building a little building that they built. They didn't know what they were doing. They, they didn't even hardly put no thing under it. When they poured it, it cracked. And, and the building cracked from the get-go. Fast forward 30, 30 years back from now. And there's a young 20-something-year-old preacher blowing leaves out from underneath the door frames. Because there's so many cracks in it now, the doors run like this and... One half is underwater when it rains. And while I was seated with Christ in Caledonia, Mississippi, God said, Tim, can we talk? Yeah. I want to do something in forest. People have been praying for that for years, and it's time. Can I send you? Can I send you? How long? <sighs> Until every project that I've ever given you is done. Until everything that I've envisioned has been accomplished. How long is that going to take? I don't know. Will you go? Yeah. I'll go. I'll go. It is not in the intimacy, although I have to be intimate. It's not in where I'm seated, although I must be seated. It is in my ability to move and go as God directs me and calls me and challenges me into areas I would not go myself. This is the, this is the context to if you want to describe mystery people, mystery people believe it all. We believe it cover to cover. We even believe it's telling the truth when it says genuine leather on the outside of the Bible. We believe it. I believe every single bit of everything, every I that's dotted, every T that's crossed, I believe every single bit of it. I don't believe it's just something that's written. I believe it's little. I believe Jesus fed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. I don't understand how he did it. I don't know the way he did it. I don't care how he did it. I don't need to know the Greek about it. I don't need to know the, 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 the Hebrew about it. I just know that he did it. And I know that he can do it again. And I know that he's still a miracle working God. And I know that God can still perform miracles and do everything that He still wants to do. I did not discover God. And these people, the mystery people, will tell you they did not discover God in some seminary. They did not discover God in some intellectual pursuit. 
They did not discover God. Here's what they understand. If you want to become this kind of person. They seek to comprehend a God that's incomprehensible. I chase after a God who cannot be caught. I try each day to know the God that is unknowable, that is too large, that is too great. Let me just give you an understanding. If you can look at me and say, I know God, then your God is way too small. The next person looks at you, I know God. You need to look at them kind of sideways like, you're an idiot. Because if your God is so small, you know Him, then either you are very intelligent beyond anything I understand, or your God is so small that He fits your little box. But these mystery people, you can't live there because you're dealing with a God who's, who's, who's just... He's out there. He's uncomprehendable. They, they seek to know him who is, cannot be fully known. They touch somebody who cannot be fully apprehended. I touch him. I get touched by him. But I am never fully grasping God. He's too large. He's too big. He's too mighty. There's not a problem I got that he's not bigger than. There's not a situation that I go through that He's not greater than. He is the God who carves rivers with His fingers. He hangs stars and calls them by name. He's put everything that you see in motion and holds it by the power of His Word. You think I understand that, God? No. But I get to sit with Him. I get to sit with Him and I get to be held by Him and I get to be loved by Him. Mystery is... When I say simple, I want you to understand simple does not mean ignorant. Simple does not mean uneducated. They just do it because they've been told to do it. Why you pay your tithes? Because I was told to pay my tithes. I don't understand it. I just know that it works. Why do you pray? Because he said to pray always without ceasing. I just know it works. I don't have to understand everything about God. I just need to be obedient to what he's called me to do and have sat with him and been with him long enough to realize I don't have to explain myself to you. I just simply have to explain myself to him. And as I explain myself to him and am obedient to him, I'll show you my life compared to your life. And let's see how it lines up. Mystery. This is what we mean by Pentecostal. The Pentecostal movement cannot survive unless it lives in mystery. The Pentecostal movement cannot thrive unless it lives in mystery. Pentecostal is not because we talk weird or do this, although it comprehends that. You think about how much mystery we live in. We, we pray in tongues. I don't even know what I'm praying. I have no idea what I'm praying. I just know it works. I just know it builds up my inner man. That's what the Bible says. Building myself up. 
You mean explain that? You mean try to help you realize that or rationalize that? Or, or No, I can't. You just believe it or not. I don't care. I'm just telling you it works. And the next time you have some situation that you can't handle, I promise you, you're going to be looking for some tongue-talking, powerhouse-looking individual to pray over your mess. And I'm going to tell you what, you ain't going to care whether you understand what they're saying or not. You just want Leroy healed. You just want this situation taken care of. We will cease to be Pentecostal if we lose the mystery. Pentecostal cannot live in the rational. And it cannot live in the natural. It won't survive. That's what we're seeing in this modern world. We're trying to mix the two. And we're watching everything from preachers to praise leaders to all these people we keep heaping up on stage and trying to tell everybody they got it together. They got, I'm going to tell you the one thing they're lacking, power. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. I don't care about what it looks like. If I got enough power, that's all that matters. If the power is there, that's all that's going to make the difference. But we live in a world that would rather look good and fail than be a little weird and succeed. Well, when we pray, we pray in tongues. We are a mystery. It's, 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 we're at a crossroads. Let me, let me see if I can explain it this way. And I'll, I'll close here. Go with me to Hebrews 11 and, and just another very simple scripture. Hebrews 11, just like Isaiah 6, Hebrews 11, 1 through 6. Is that okay? Now, faith is the substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Okay, so, so faith... Faith is a substance. Is, is this a substance? Is this a substance? Talk to me now. Is this a substance? Say yes or no. Is this a substance? Is, 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 is this a substance? Here's what the Bible says. Faith is a, it means, a substance means you can do what? Can you touch a substance? Can, can you see a substance? Can you see it? Can you see it? No. You can't see it. But it's a substance. Yes, you can see it. If somebody looks at you, oh yeah, I see it. No, they don't. They're lying to you. Just like you tell somebody, well, I believe this is going to happen. Well, I don't see how that... They can't see it. They cannot see the substance. Faith is a substance. 
A substance means I can put it here and I can stand on it and it will hold me up and it won't let me down and it won't crack and it won't move. It's a substance. My faith is a substance. It is more of a substance than anything else that exists in the world. Faith is the substance of things. The evidence. Evidence means I can tag it. I can take it to the court of law. I can say, judge, this is my evidence. Evidence of things not seen. What are you saying, pastor? What what are you trying to explain? Until your faith and obedience becomes more real than anything else in your life, you will never walk in the mystery. What you keep trying to do in our modern world of rationalism and naturalism, we try to combine the two. Well, you know, that's this. this. No, no, no. Until your substance and your evidence, which is unseen, is more real than the thing that you can see, it will never work. So when somebody says, Pastor, if you had to say what separates you from a lot of people, it's not my ability, it's not my my education, it's not my talent, it's one, one thing. I believe the substance is always greater than what the world calls natural. I believe that Camp Cypress was more real and hundreds of kids coming was more real than COVID-19. Than $2 million worth of where's it going to come from? Worth of how, how are we going to get enough showers? You can't even buy showers right now. How are we going to get 32 showers? I don't know all that. I don't care about all of that. You don't understand. I've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. And he told me, Tim, I need it done. And I saw him high and lifted up. He is mighty and he's awesome and he's great. And the whole place shakes when they say, holy. If that God says that he can do it, then I'm ready to get up and say, let's go do it. Because I believe that the substance that I'm holding to is greater than the substance that's around me. For by it, listen, for by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. Abraham believed for a child for 25 years that he didn't have. Everything was a substance that they couldn't touch, they couldn't have, but it was a substance that they were willing to believe for. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. That's by by faith. So that the things which which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. In other words, that was the problem. People always say, well, why did Cain and Abel's sacrifices mess up? It's not complicated. It's not because one gave a goat and one gave up fruit. It's because Cain gave it only out of the understanding that I can see it. Abel sacrificed the life of something, believing for something in the future better.
through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still. He said, my testimony, my faith cannot die. It speaks into generations. It speaks, it keeps speaking. Just like God's Word, it keeps speaking through the universe. Verse 6. Go with me to verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible. You got to get this. Without faith or obedience, it is impossible to ever please God. Preaching won't please God. Singing won't please God. Teaching won't please God. It is faith and obedience as we walk and as we live and as we do that is pleasing to God. Do you notice that none of those stories in Hebrew ever involved anybody preaching? Never involved anybody singing. Never involved anything that we call church. This is just a celebration. It's what I do out there that creates the testimony. Does that make sense? I can preach this, but if I don't live this, it's of no value. God didn't tell me, Tim, move to forest and preach. He said, Tim, move to forest and do. Oh yeah, you got to preach every Sunday too. That's why I pick every Sunday. Good time to go to work. That's my work. Doing my other stuff, that's my joy. Let me wrap it up. I'll show it to you. Go with me to James 4 and 14. James 4 and 14. That's what I said. We'll stop right here. Here's what it says. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow? For what is your... Okay. Is this substance? Is this substance? Let's see. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a... Vapor that appears for a little and then vanishes. Look at the person beside you and say, you aren't real. See, you've been living so long in your realistic world, your rational world, your natural, you actually think you're valuable. You ain't going to do nothing but help grass grow one day, folks. That's why you've got to go buy a spot to stick you in the ground. If you ain't done it already, you better get hurried. You better figure out where they're going to put you, where they're going to stick you, where they're going to be hopeful somebody come see you. But you ain't going to be there. Because you are but a vapor who is here for a moment and then is gone and vanished away. Is this substance? No. This is not substance. This is not real. 
For the things that were made that you see were made by the things that are invisible, not by the things that are visible. The invisible world is more real than the world you live in. The world that is invisible is what makes everything in this world operate. And those who are of God understand this. That's why they counted, you'll read in Hebrews, they counted their lives not valuable, willing to give it up. Why? For the testimony of what God gave them to do. Why? Because they saw themselves just life. How would Paul say it? To die is gain. Because then I take off his vapor and I get to go be real. Go with me to Job. Let's see what Job would say. Job 14, verses 2 through 4. I know I've already lost some of you because some of y'all are like, I can't handle this. I know. You need a rational religion. You need a natural relationship with God where you can just dress up and impress Him and go home and can't figure out why your life ain't got no depth. I'm trying to help you. I know I'm not getting all the way through this today. I'm just getting the start. But you're going to have to understand until you learn to want to live in the mystical, in the mystery, that's where God reigns. Here's what it says. He comes forth like a flower. Who's he talking about? You. You come forth like a flower and... He flees like a shadow and does not. And do you open your eyes on such a one and bring him to judgment with yourself? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? He says, what you are, your body, your it's just a vapor. Go with me to Psalms and I'll show it to you from another writer who understood the mystery. Psalms 103, here's what he says. For as for man, his days is like grass. Look at the person beside you and say, you're just a piece of grass. So you don't want to hear this. I know, because you want to go home and look in the mirror like, I'm somebody. You're a piece of grass. You're a flower that's here today, looks real pretty, and you're going to be dead. You're a vapor. Whatever kind of vapor you want to talk about. You're just a vapor. You hear for a while, smell for a while, look for, linger for a while, and then you float away. You got to get that in you, otherwise, you will always struggle in your walk with God. As for a man, his days is like grass, as a flower of the field, and so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is. And it passes and its place remembers it no. That's why a hundred years from now, where you live, if it's still standing, somebody will say, whose house is that? Well, that's Joe Bob's house. A hundred years ago, it was your house. Nobody remembers you. You're remembered no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from on those who Fear Him and His righteousness to the children's children, to such as keep His covenant, and to those who remember His commandments to the Lord has established His throne in heaven, and His kingdom rules over all. 
Bless the Lord, you His angels who excel in strength, who do His Word, heeding the voice of His Word. Bless the Lord, all you His hosts, who you ministers of His, who do His pleasure. Bless the Lord, all His works, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. As we stop where I want you to linger right now, is to understand that if you live in the natural, your God will never be big enough. If you live in the rational, your God will never be big enough. If you ever learn to live in the mystical, He will discover a realm where God reigns and rules and is over everything and you are seated with Him and you are there to do His bidding. And what will be remembered about you? What will be remembered about you will be the work that you did with Him and for Him. When heaven and earth is passed away and judgment has come, it will be the only thing you're remembered for. Nobody's going to remember your address. In heaven, they, they don't care. Nobody's going to care what you drove. Nobody's going to care what you lived in. Heaven don't care. God says, if you're seated with me, we live above all that. And we do heaven's business. This is what Jesus understood. Next week, I'm going to start with a story about Jesus. Jesus was, was mystical. He was so mystical. I mean, he rubs mud on people's faces. Just, just, just like, why you do it that way? That's what God told me to do. Now, he was not weird. You don't have to be weird, but you have to be mystical. Because when you're sitting with God and God says, do it this way, Tim. God, that's not right. Not in your eyes, Tim. But it's just perfect for me. Because everything in the kingdom of heaven is upside down. If I'm proud, I'll be knocked down. If I'm humble, I'll be raised up. If I give, I'll receive. If I try to hang on to it, I'll lose it. If I die, I'll live. But if I try to live, I'll die. Everything about your natural world in the kingdom is backwards. That's why it won't fit. That's why your relationship has to be in Him, for Him. You have to be in love with Him, intimate with Him, because you're living in a different kingdom. And no one in this world will understand it. They're just amazed when they watch it. Will you stand? So what do you want me to understand this far? First, I just want you to understand the principle. That's all I'm teaching this morning is the principle. I need you to grasp the principle, even though, it, even though it, it's hard for you. Even though you don't want it. This doesn't fit your, your natural church life. This doesn't fit your, I just go to church do my normal thing, I'm saved and on my way to heaven. 
I don't know why God is not using me the way I want to be used. It's because He can't use your natural. And He can't work within your rational. He only gets glory from the mystical. David said, I am a mystery. I am a mystery to all those who see me. I understand that. I'm not educated in the way you would think. I don't do things pastorally the way everybody would think. I understand. I just know that when I'm seated with Christ, He says, Tim, do this. And like Isaiah, who sat there that day, sitting there looking at God's glory and listening to the conversation, and God said, Who are we going to send? You know, we've got to send somebody. And Isaiah raises his hand and says, Lord, send me. I'll do what you ask me to do. I'll go where you ask me to go. I'll do it. And God, when He's looking over this congregation today, He's saying, I love hugging you. I love the intimacy. I love if you come to the altar and I wrap my arms. I love that. I love that you're seated with me. My son died so you could sit with me. But ultimately, I need people that can go. I don't need you talking about how much you love the Lord. I need you to show me how much you love the Lord. Show the world how much you love Him. He's waiting. For somebody who says, I'll leave my seat to do what I hear God talking. And that's what changes the world. Father, today, while your children are seated with you, while this week they open their Bibles, they, they grow close to you, they feel intimate with you, they... God, I ask that also they are not deaf to the conversation. God, make them mature enough, steady enough, stable enough to hear your word over, hey, I need you to call so-and-so and check on them. Hey, I need you to bake that cake you've been talking about and take it to so-and-so. Hey, I need you to go invite that person to lunch at work. You've been needing... Hey, I need you to go mow the grass for the person across the street because their lawnmower's tore. Hey, I need you to be my mouth my eyes, I need you to be my hands, and I need you to be my feet. I need you to work with me. Will you go? Will you go? Father, let us be that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Hey, go give that devil fits this week.